Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Independent Derby County podcast for a seasonal look back on the year that was for the Rams. With me, Chris Parsons. Hello, Richard Kutcher. Hello. Hello there. Sounding equally uh, sniffly and full of cold as myself, I see, Chris. <laughs> Absolutely. And Tom Martin's here. Happy belated Christmas to you, sir. Happy Christmas to you both and happy Christmas, everyone. Uh, it seems like I'm the fit and healthy one for once, which is always oh, nice. That makes a change. Uh, there's more recent reaction coming from us too. Derby County's unbeaten run has continued after Christmas with that attritional, dogged, but uninspiring point at fellow playoff chasers Bolton. Uh, the Rams are nestled nicely in the top six with a game in hand. And at the start of the season, uh, Kutch, that's definitely a position we would have all have taken, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I need to listen to our exact predictions, but I think we all said that, you know, uh, a season of stability, stabilising, rebuilding, and if we could get into the top six, we'd be pretty, pretty happy with that. And I think we're certainly on track. I still think, I still go by the fact that we'll get better in the second half of the season. Um, So yeah, sitting in sixth place with a fantastic defensive record, which we'll come on to, I guess, and and looking up rather than down in the table is a a brilliant way to to head into 2023. I did have Tom. uh, I I had sort of sectioned off a good 10, 15 minutes to talk about Bolton, but wasn't much to say, was there? But, you know, a good point's a good point on the road, isn't it? Especially against a fellow top six chasing side. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the old adage goes, if you're not going to win the game, don't lose it. And that's what Derby did yesterday. They were solid, um, despite uh, almost slipping up perhaps in the very last kick of the game. There was obviously a good chance um, uh, for Kachunga in the last minute and comfortably saved in the end by Wildsmith. But yeah, I think Derby defended well, uh, looked good in the in their own half and looked good with the ball and without the ball. They had a good shape about them. Um, I thought at times there was maybe a little bit too much of a gap between the defence and midfield and a couple of the Bolton players. I think uh, Dion Collins, I think it is, um, or Dion Charles, sorry. Uh, he kept dropping into the space a little bit and causing a few trouble uh, problems, but we defended the box really well. Um, and it's just a shame we weren't creative enough perhaps going forward. There was a couple of half chances and a few shouts for, for penalty and stuff like that but, um, but yeah I think good point on the road that and if we can beat them in a few weeks time uh, that'd be an excellent point so it is nine unbeaten in the league for Derby now although six of those have been draws but I think look you've got to take the positives from that we are keeping clean sheets and as you pointed out Kutch have currently only conceded two in our last seven games which is an amazing defensive record I think Warren has definitely made us more resolute and harder to break down at the back. And you've got to remember, he's done all of that with a defensive midfielder at right back, an attacking midfielder at left back, and a former left midfielder at centre back. So look, there are still complaints about Warren's playing style. I think there always will be 
as long as he's here. But you can't deny he's keeping us in contention with the top six, with players out of position and a team that isn't his. So, Tom, he's been in the job for just under three months now. How would you rate Paul Warren's tenure as Rams boss out of 10 so far? Um, it's a tough one because I was sort of looking through the uh, fixes that we've had and the results that we've had. Um, and I'm almost tempted to say something in around between six and seven. So 6.5 out of 10, I think, are probably given because like, we've had some really positive results. The, the draw away at Portsmouth, I think also the draw against um, Bolton, two really good away uh, points there. Then some good results of beating um, the likes of uh, Forest Green, for example, at home, Milton Keynes away from home. Um, important to pick up those t- points against teams. But then equally, we've had some disappointing uh, results going further back. The 0-0 draw of Exeter at home. Um, obviously, the defeat against Ipswich was a frustrating one, perhaps not as disappointing as the um, reverse against Port Vale. So there's there's lots of... I think it's definitely been improving. I think we're making, uh, making some really good progress under him. Uh, but I think I'm going to be... Slightly harsh, I think I still would expect a little bit more considering um, from us going forward um, to sort of push us on to giving him seven or eight out of ten. But I think also like my my rating is quite harsh, but it's not really fair on him because he hasn't had the January transfer window to try and bring in someone to to actually really work in with his style of play. So um, I think six and a half so far, but I definitely expect that to be increasing over the, uh, by the end of the season. So it's a bit of a balancing act judging one this early, isn't it, Coach? Because I think there's always two sides to it. It is a squad put together in a very short space of time, but it's a very good squad put together in a short space of time with loads of experience and pedigree and young players who've actually played loads of games between them. So where where would you stand on on that rating as well? Would you advance on a six and a half, seven that Tom's offered there? Yeah, I think seven would be my minimum, minimum score. It can't be an eight. I think if he got six points more, perhaps... As Tom alluded to, maybe get up to forty-one, kind of solid in the top in the top six, pushing on to kind of second and third. Maybe give give him an eight, but I think a seven is more than fair. As you both said, it's not really his team, and it was a team you know cobbled together very effectively, really in a short space of time by David Klaus and, and Liam Rossini in the summer. Um, so I think he's you know I, I think a lot of those players in that team aren't necessarily players that he would have signed, not because they're not because they're bad players, they don't necessarily fit his system and. And the fact you've got midfielders at fullback and a left back at centre back, and you know that that clean sheet record, that defensive record, is is really really impressive. I mean, I mean, Sheffield Wednesday at home would would, would be nice to have nicked a, you know nicked the three points there, but away draws at Bolton and Pompey, who are teams we expect to be in the mix for top six, they're, they're good points. I mean, that game was there for the taking yesterday against Bolton, but we should be taking, we should be accepting points away from home against top six rivals if you're going to win the home game. So I think uh, I think it's been a solid start from Paul Warren. It should set him up nicely for a really strong second half of the season, which could take him to a bit bit higher than seven out of ten. But seven out of ten shouldn't be seen as as a poor reflection of his work. I think I think it's a fair reflection and he's probably admit that he's got plenty more to come. I do do think that people who listen to us will maybe think that I'm being harsh and saying six six out of six and a half or seven out of uh, ten in around that sort of ballpark. But the reason for it is is because I'm really pleased with the position we're in. It's higher than what I expected in our um, preseason pod. I thought we'd be sort of top ten, and if we could have a, a challenge for the playoffs in the second half of the season, uh, that'd be a really good result. And currently, we're exceeding my expectation from there. It is that frustration of the fact that we've had quite a few games that's been very close: the Bolton, the Portsmouth, the Sheffield Wednesday game, the Ipswich game, and we haven't gone on to nick one of those uh, 
and we've lost one of them in Ipswich. If we and it's just that frustration of like, can we have that like final little bit of quality in the in uh, the final third just to create that chance and to take that chance then, um, so we don't sort of slip up and and uh, we then maybe gain ground rather than just sort of c- keeping the space between ourselves and those teams above us. Um, I think that the top three of Plymouth, uh, Ipswich, and Sheffield Wednesday, looking at it, I think it's eleven points or maybe twelve points of difference uh, between Derby and them. That that seems like quite a, a big gap unless that significantly changes. And that's why I agree with Kutch. It wouldn't be an eight out of ten, but I think he's I think he's made a decent start. I'm sure he picked up some good results, and uh, and I'm happy with the the way that the team is and the way the team's set up. I think it looks really impressive uh, without the ball, uh, and we're definitely very hard to break down. So before we have a proper look back at the last twelve months, uh, the 2022 year that was for Derby, we all know what our off the field highlight was this year. That one's pretty obvious. But what was the best moment on the pitch? Plenty of memorable games, results, goals, performances, um, and loads to choose from. I'll come to you both in a minute. But I think for me, like I looked all the way back to that amazing win over Sheffield United earlier on in the year when I think there was still a bit of hope that we might be able to pull off the, the greatest of great escapes. And <laughs> I'm just so jealous of anyone who was there because the fans in Pride Park, especially in the South Stand that day, basically saw two of the best goals ever scored by a Derby County player at Pride Park in that stadium's 25-year history. Tom Lawrence's amazing solo run for for the first one. I think it was, I forget the order they were scored in. And then the second one, that incredible burst of pace from Festi Ebersaley, smashing through two or three players, offloading to Fozzie and then to Lawrence and the beautiful bended left-footed shot into the top corner to seal the 2-0 win just amazing goals that I've never seen anything like Uh, we'll come on to the players that were saddest to see leave Derby in the last year but for me I know there's plenty of other contenders that was I think the standout moment in the past year on the pitch coach how about you Uh, for me on the pitch it's the beat at bicycle there's absolutely no no uh no competition for me for that in, in terms of, you know, I think we all went, the three of us went in the car that day. Was there train strikes that day? We drove up. Um, I think we just love a road trip, up. really. It's just, you know, <laughs> why not? And maybe it wasn't train strikes, but we had to get there really early, didn't we? Because the, the kickoff was an early kickoff and then the march was obviously pre-match. And I, I think there's been some cynicism about the, the march um, since then and what it achieved or didn't achieve. But I thought it was an incredible emotional day and it really did uh, show off Derby in the best possible light in, in a terrible, terrible situation. And on the pitch, you know, because of all that build up, because of the anticipation, I've never seen the ground so full, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes before kickoff because of the march got people to the ground so early. And the game itself was in particular the first half, first 60 minutes or so, was pretty much a letdown and we were 2 nil down um, and it, it felt a bit deflating. But to Bielek to make his return, I think we all forget that was Bielek's return after so long out of the team. And to come on first, a great goal from Luke Plange in front of the south stands, curling it in from the edge of the box after a corner. And then Bielek with his bicycle and the, and the three of us particularly together, just going absolutely mad and and, and screaming the Bielek bicycle. Um, was, was just a, uh, one of my favourite ever moments at Pride Park, possibly one of my most emotional ever moments at Pride Park. And uh, I'll forever remember that. So I think that was my, for me, that was a kind of peak of that season's emotions of and of believing we might do it, you know, three points would have been a lot better than one that day. But the way that we got that point and the momentum around everything from the march and uh, and the way the team were playing, it just felt that we were on something special. It didn't quite work out, 
but it doesn't take anything away from that moment. Probably a few more left field moments he could choose. I mean, it's easy to forget about some of the moments we've had this season in League One, like Connor Harrison's opener against Oxford, uh, and then even the back end of last season, the win over Fulham, of course. And we asked our patrons what their favourite moments were on the pitch. And uh, Pete Lee, one of our patrons, said the win over Fulham. Uh, Stephen Bosworth agreed with you, Kutch, with the Bielik bicycle against Birmingham. But uh, Tom, you had a bit more of a left field choice from earlier on in the uh, in that League One in the Championship campaign, didn't you? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, the Bielik bicycle was obviously amazing being there. And I'm pleased that you remember that one, Kutch, at least if it comes up to a quiz round in a few years' time, you'll, you'll at least be good at that that particular game. And as you say, Chris, this Sheffield United game with the two brilliant goals from Lawrence were, were fantastic. But the, the bit that I, I was like... I. In, in the reflection of the Birmingham game, I was like, oh, we definitely needed three points on that to really... That Birmingham were a team in and around us where, like, oh, we could haul them in and the three points would have made a massive difference. Um, it was then the whole game a few weeks sort of later, I think, into mid-February, where Ebersele was, like, unbelievable. And I was like, if he can play like that, because that was the Ebersele that we knew was in there um, and had been sort of talking about for so long, I was like, hang on a sec, this, this is the moment. He was just electric that night and holders couldn't deal with him. And I thought... If we can, he can keep that up for another sort of five, six games, even up until like sort of the end of March, sort of early April, I think we could get the points here and we could pick it up. Uh, and again, as you said a, a minute ago, Chris, unfortunately that didn't happen. Um, and he sort of went off the boil slightly uh, for the rest of the season. And obviously didn't pick up enough points in the end to to keep ourselves up. But it, it was that sudden realisation that we've got one hell of a team here um, and a really sort of, who are really fighting and battling. And that performance, I thought, was one of the best uh, performances that I'd seen um, seen that season. A few of your five-word reviews then on 2022. We asked uh, our followers on social, on Facebook and Twitter, uh, just to sum up 2022 in five words. Some great responses. Jason Beresford, one of our patrons, said, worrying, togetherness, passion, commitment, security. Uh, Mark Coote, another one of our patrons, uh, he said, fan power kept us alive over on Facebook. Ian Caldicott, this is a good one. He said, slow death to bright future. Uh, Jamie Reed has gone glass half full. He said, a league winning team pending. Um, so some great responses there. So where to start with 2022 for Derby County? Arguably, the most turbulent 12 months in the club's entire history. Uh, the year began with the club's very existence still in the balance, but it's ended with a new owner, a new manager, a new hope. There were tears, takeovers, bicycles and bubble hats. This year really put us through it as Rams fans. But as 2022 draws to a close, we can now look up rather than down. Hope has replaced doom scrolling and we're all dreaming of a successful rebuild in 2023. The year had started with optimism. Derby won their last three games of 2021 and hopes of survival in the championship remained after the first match of the year when Curtis Davis's late, late equaliser at Reading kept the dream alive for another week. Burn. It's an inviting ball over. to the end and from 2-0 down it is 2-2 
So it feels a, a long time ago now, and it's it's only only match of the last five in the league that we haven't won. But the point that Curtis Davis secured at Reading with possibly our favourite header of all time is still an absolutely huge one in the context of the, of the league table, particularly as Reading have continued to collapse uh, since, uh, since our kind of last minute equaliser. Tom, we've been to some good days and bad days at Medeci Stadium. I think more bad than good. It doesn't get much better than recovering from two down in the last... 10 5 10 minutes is it uh, absolutely not and um chris put on the uh, steve bloomer's washington twitter about like is that the best header and i was like well what about tom lawrence at that very stadium in the first game for for lampard and he was like no i want the thunder bastard header and it was a thunder bastard like as davis leaps up you see like every single muscle in his body like stretching and straining and like he's going to absolutely bullet this into the bottom corner and the keeper doesn't move and it's a good sort of 12 12 to 15 yards out and it buried into that bottom corner and absolute chaos and the photos afterwards of Davis like ripping his shirt and like banging his chest and like that's again that passion that's shown by Rooney on the sideline is then embodied on the pitch by Curtis Davis and that man is an absolute hero um he's such he's been such a great footballer I remember when Derby got promoted to the Premier League back in 2007 I heard that we signed C Davis and I thought it was Curtis and I was excited then realized it was Claude and was gutted um <laughs> different spelling as well <laughs> different yeah it, it is but at the time I just saw it sort of going across on Satanta Sports News or something like that and I was like oh we've, si we've signed him yeah but unfortunately it the wrong one I think he ended up at Villa instead but um, he's been a great player all the way through his career and he's having I mean it's a great twilight of his career and he's having an absolute Indian summer Later the same month would see some of the most emotional scenes in recent Rams history thousands upon thousands marched through Derby City Centre before the Birmingham City home game on January the 30th as takeover talks continued to stall and there was more late drama when Christian Bielik's last-minute scissor kick blew the roof off Pride Park. Needs good delivery, this Lawrence. Come on. It's all right. Up you go. Up you go. Yeah! Derby County 2, Birmingham City 2. I think it's fair to say coach after 65 70 minutes or so um where we probably could have been about four nil down yeah i think in in all honesty we would have definitely taken a draw but just tell us how you reacted when the polish prince arched his right foot and scissored that spectacular equalizer into the bottom corner after 95 plus a few seconds in front of the south stand yeah i think it's immediately gone up to probably top three moments as a Derby County fan in my life uh, particularly with all the emotion that came with it the, the, the kind of the scenes before the match I was in tears uh, watching Jamie do his poem and the fans at the very start of the game I thought to see the ground fill almost at quarter past one was incredible but the Beelit bicycle as I'm calling it was I, I you guys didn't seem to know what quite had happened when it went in I thought Stearman had scored Tom, yeah you thought Stearman had scored Tom was celebrating with some random people over to his right Chris was celebrating with his, some random people over to his left and I was running back and forth between you just shouting beat it bicycle beat it bicycle beat it bicycle and and then then obviously we'll come on to it we beat it was then down and we all feared the worst on that front but in terms of moments in terms of a last minute winner or a last minute equaliser I don't think it I can't, right now, I'm struggling to think of another moment of packed with that much emotion. 
There would be more memorable moments in the second half of the campaign. Tom Lawrence's incredible brace to sink Sheffield United. Sibley's stunner against Peterborough. Ravel Morrison finishing a sublime team goal against Barnsley. But too many costly defeats and drop points meant Derby never realistically looked like clambering out of the bottom three. Some bad results and dodgy decisions had fans questioning whether the EFL had it in for Derby County, but as podcast guest Ollie Wright put it in March, there was no EFL vendetta, it's just refereeing incompetence and mistakes. But I think what it shows is, you know, basically the standard of officiating is just really not very good in the, in the championship. We all know that. And I, I understand the frustration like, and why some some fans have kind of, you know, a lot of fans have been tweeting there's clearly some sort of conspiracy and that the EFL are in some way kind of trying to ask referees to make sure we don't get the decisions. I, I just I just don't think that's the case. And as one of my mates, Peter, put it the other day, you know, if there was that would rely on the EFL being competent enough to organise something, which clearly isn't the case. So I think it's just ineptitude. I think it's mistakes. There's no vendetta. It is just incompetence. And you could introduce VAR, but then look at the mess that's in the Premier League. And it's not the fact of the technology that's wrong with VAR. It's the fact of the usage of the the people who are doing it. And Stuart Atwell yesterday at um, Brighton and Liverpool the decision there not to even uh, let Mike Dean have a look at that tackle from Sanchez when Diaz scores the goal, that's not VAR's fault. That's incompetence from officials. And it happens right the way across the leagues. Um, and it's not just in the Championship. It's not just against Derby. And someone said something about the goal that Derby scored against Barnsley last week being offside. I still don't even know whether that actually is offside. And you do win some and you lose some. So the inevitable sadly came to pass. And on April the 18th, 2022 Derby County were relegated to the third tier with defeat at QPR. Here's how we reacted to that fateful day at Loftus Road. We couldn't do it. We just couldn't pull it off. Uh, There were fleeting moments when the miracle did look possible, but in the end, Derby's dwindling squad caught up with us and the mammoth weight of the 21-point deduction pulled us under condemning the Rams to third-tier football for the first time in 36 years. Any relegation inquest usually points fingers at the players and the coaches. Who was responsible? Who let us down? Who didn't pull their weight? But in this unique campaign for Derby County, there's been none of that as the Rams prepare for life in League One. The club is, in many ways, more united than it has been for years. Fewer egos, more grit, more honesty, more trust. We can only hope that the togetherness, the renewed pride and purpose can be harnessed in these seasons to come. Because uh, let's face it, League One ain't exactly a walk in the park either for Derby County's uh, big reset. The dust has settled on uh, Richard and Tom's trip to Loftus Road, where they uh, saw the survival dream officially die what's going through your mind boys at full time um well yeah it was a bit of a not a shock because obviously we saw it coming but in terms of when the when the news came through i actually heard it on it popped up on my screen chris when you text saying that um reading had got a late equalizer against swansea after i think they were full one down at, at one point in that match and i was saying throughout the game to, to tom i was like well look as long as we as long as we match reading's result it goes another week and tom was kind of like well you know, we're still not going to happen. We need to win no matter what here. And obviously we, we conceded the goal, but part of me was still hopeful that, you know, Reading would lose and it, and it would go again. Um, I, st- I still felt we had some fight left in us, but when the when the news did come through that, that Reading had equalised and obviously we'd lost, 
it was devastating. But at, at that moment, it was still just pride, really. Um, the, the reception that we gave the team and, and Wayne Rooney and, and the whole staff on the pitch and the reception they gave us, the fans, was, you know, it was emotional. It was heartwarming to a degree. Yeah, I think maybe it started to sink in more today. Yesterday was kind of, it's so weird to say it, it was kind of a high again, like, because it's the pride you feel in, in, in everyone connected with the club, apart from one or two obvious people. Um, so, yeah, it was a difficult one yesterday. Having seven pints, I think, probably helped in some <laughs> in some degree. But it was, um, yeah, it was emotional. I thought for a long time, Tom, about how I would feel when this day finally comes. Um, Kutch was saying earlier that you reckoned you, you called this in our first ever podcast episode that you reckoned would go down before we went up on this podcast. But I've always thought about how I would actually feel. And, you know, you thought you'd feel devastated and wonder what's the point and you just feel a complete all-time low but I don't really feel that you know it's uh, is relegation supposed to be this sort of not uplifting but I'm I'm almost okay with it yeah it's a weird one because the way that we have been relegated isn't necessarily the normal way we've actually accumulated enough points there's been lots of really good moments and lots of wins over over this season um so it feels like there's been loads of positivity around there so when that did when it did finally happen, it was as Kutch said, the pride about things, and that was the uh, that was the main sort of thing and the main feeling that I felt, uh, which is a pretty emotional thing. I think that's that the thing that's got me this year is the fact that I think pride is the thing that makes me the most emotional and like, involved with something, and I just love the fact yeah. that this team has put that that effort in. I'm I'm not actually sure whether it was me, and I'm not sure whether it was the first episode. I'm certainly sure, pretty sure that one of us. Uh, and I actually thought it might be you, been you, Chris, who said that how are we ever going to get out of this division? Maybe we have to go down in order to go up. But it's a it's a long sort of time memory. But I mean, we are finally out of the championship for better or for worse. At least we've got a football <laughs> club to to, <laughs> to hopefully support next year. So no more QPR. People, yeah, no more QPR. <laughs> no more no more Millwall. Like none of that sort of rubbish. And um, yeah, looking forward to more coming Fleetwood away on a Tuesday night. After Derby's relegation, there were, of course, recriminations, but also pride and continued anxiety as Derby's takeover still wouldn't get over the line. By now, Chris Kirchner had come and gone as a preferred bidder and wrangling over Pride Park itself meant Derby were possibly weeks away from terminal disaster. In our alternative awards podcast over on the Steve Bloomers Washing Patreon, we selected our villain of the season. And there was only one realistic contender. I think I know what you're going to say, Tom, but who for you is your villain of the year? Who is the person or people who um, contributed the least or made the season the most difficult for Derby County this season? I mean, it's only Mel Morris, isn't it? He's the, the, the biggest villain of this entire season just for the actions of what he did in order to put us into administration um, and it seemed like it was the decision to put us into administration rather than a necessity because he decided not to fund us anymore for whatever reasons and we don't understand those reasons um, but then also for the seemingly he steps out of the um, out of the fire and into the uh, onto the side when he, he seems to settle the Middlesbrough thing which we can then go to Steve Gibson for this um, 
as well and that seems to be like in February time it's like things are going to happen very quickly uh, but then clearly they still haven't happened as we still haven't been taken over because of the issues around the stadium um, and so yeah it just goes it goes on and on but head and shoulders above the rest is definitely uh, Mel Morris I don't think we can go anywhere else with that one in terms of uh, the winner but there's plenty of candidates in this season I think Steve Gibson's another one that's got to be up there. Fast forward one month however and we finally got the news we've been waiting for for nine months Derby County had been saved thanks to lifelong fan David Klaus, who took over the club at the start of July. Here's what we had to say at the time. You're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the independent Derby County podcast. No, you didn't fall asleep and wake up in August. We are back. It's an unscheduled June podcast because the news we've all been waiting for has finally arrived. It seemed like a lifetime ago that the Rams were plunged into administration, certainly longer than 285 days. But since then, we've had squabbles, legal wranglings, we've had broken promises, false hope, empty talk, empty bank accounts, and a countless stream of statements. And that was just off the pitch. We've been put through the absolute ringer as a fan base. We've marched for our club. We've seen chances and frauds come and go. We've been a national topic of conversation. We've stared non-existence in the face, all while tumbling into the third tier of English football for the first time since 1986. It's been a real once-in-a-lifetime period for most of us as Derby County supporters, but it brings me immense pleasure and relief to say it is over. The mighty Rams are saved. Uh, David Klaus' takeover has been completed. And maybe, just maybe, we can concentrate on the actual football again and only the football and words like creditors, preferred bidders, relevant stakeholders, and Quantuma are ones that we'll just never have to hear ever, ever again. Uh, savoring the feel-good factor with me, Chris Parsons. I've uh, dragged them off their summer holidays on a Friday night. It's Tom Martin. How you doing, man? Yeah, very good, Chris. I have to say, if uh, I could describe my feeling as a sound, it would be this. Wee! <laughs> Absolutely That's delightful. To see. Absolutely delightful. I'm so, so pleased. Derby's League One campaign started with just one defeat in our first six. But nonetheless, David Klaus pulled off his long-term ambition got his man and replaced Liam Rossini with Paul Warren in late September. Those who know Warren queued up to tell us what a great coup Derby had completed, including BBC Radio Sheffield's Rob Statton, who joined us on SPW for our Patreon bonus episode. And here's what he said about the Rams' new boss back in October. All, all I can tell you is that I know that Derby County were really interested in Paul Warren. From, from the minute this chairman came in, I think he's had his eyes set on Paul Ward. And I think that bodes very, very well for Derby County's football fans, having had such a tumultuous last couple of years and with everything that's going on. I would suggest that if, if you're looking for evidence that this, this new owner's um, the right man for the job, then that would be the first thing that would really sort of sort of satisfy me in that regard. I think from the from the minute he came in, I think he's had his eyes on Paul Warren, and I think it was really a case of um, when could he maybe entice him to come to Derby County. Now, 
it's it's very difficult for when, when you've won promotion and you've then spent the summer trying to sign new players for the championship for Rotherham United and trying to retain players and you've told them, look, this is what we're going to do this year. This is the plan. It's very difficult as a manager to then go, I've told you all that and then I'm off, you know, before the season begins or or even a couple of games into it. So timing was always going to be important. It had to be the right time. And I think it was just that when the international break came, that was the right time. Paul Warren had nothing left to prove at Rotherham United. I know some Rotherham fans think, oh, he should have stayed and kept them up and then it would have been job done. But listen, football's fickle. If Paul Warren had lost the next three games, then the same 9,000 fans who were gutted he's gone would have been calling for him to go anyway because that's the way football works. Or a lot of them would be. They've been saying, ah, has he maybe took the club as far as he can and stuff like that and they're going to go down again or whatever. So I think the timing was spot on. Um, but I think it was all, as far as I can tell, you know, all above board, just a very strong interest from Derby County and Paul Ward. And when the time was right, that appointment was made and, and finalised. And, and I think that's it. You know, Rotherham United move on, Derby County move on. And I'll just say it again, you know, if there's any Derby fans there wondering, you know, what is this guy like? Don't know much about him or anything like that. I've got no, you know, horse in this race. There's no reason for me to come out here and say, Paul Warren's an absolute diamond. He, he, this is me just speaking honestly now. He is. You know, I wouldn't say that about a manager just for the sake of it. And this is from personal experience. If you ask any of, the, any of the media around here, you know, you speak to the local newspaper reporter. You speak to my two colleagues at Radio Sheffield. You go and speak to the guys at the Yorkshire Post. You go and speak to the guys at ITV Calendar or Look North on BBC TV. Go and speak to some of the national media guys who, who got to know Paul Warren. Go and speak to the guys that did the documentary with him for the BBC. They'll all tell you the same thing. Derby County uh, Football Club has won the lottery, quite frankly. I think that he is, without a shadow of a doubt, the single best manager I've ever come across in terms of his personality, in terms of how he treats people, his his sort of way of, of doing things is, is absolutely first class. It's not just Paul, his backroom staff, the team that's around him are all unbelievable. And... I think that Derby County, if, if you could have said to me that Derby County could have had Jurgen Klopp as manager, I don't think it would have been as good a choice as Paul Warren. Warren's early tenure and League One, meanwhile, delivered goals, slapstick, drama, everything you'd expect, really, with the third tier best summed up with Derby's trip to Accrington, where the home side missed two penalties and then saw the Rams score seconds later in truly chaotic scenes. Here's how we reacted to that barely believable sequence of play in mid-October. Whichever way you look at it, we've used up a fair amount of our luck for this season, I think. And I said on Twitter that I don't want to hear anyone complain about us being unlucky for the rest of the season because after McConville misses for the second time, 14 seconds and six touches of the ball later, the ball's in the back of the Accrington net. I mean, Kutch, have you ever seen anything like that passage of play between, what was it, 37 and 40 minutes at the weekend? Well, the thing I was actually just talking about talking about this to a friend of mine, a non-Derby County uh, friend of mine. They do exist, and uh, he he said the thing that sounded most like was obviously the uh, Watford Leicester City playoff semi final, where Leicester City miss a penalty and Watford go up the other end, and I think it's Troy Deeney that uh, belts it into the back of the net within probably like fifteen seconds. Now that was a much more dramatic event because it was a playoff semi-final and it was it, it turned the tie on its head that wasn't two penalties missed just the scenes behind the goal I mean the thing is that you know the scenes look fantastic in that away end when the second penalty went wide can't imagine what they must have been like 15 seconds later when 
Asula belts it in the bottom corner. Extraordinary stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, unbelievable. And, and you you sent a great still photo to our uh, WhatsApp group of the view of after that second penalty, just picking out faces in the crowd um, who are kind of looking on in disbelief and, and ecstasy in, in equal measures. So it was uh, it was pretty unbelievable. Going back to the, your your original question around other games which have rivaled that, I, I was struggling to think of anything from a, a derby perspective. The only one that came close was completely at the other end of the spectrum from an enjoyment perspective. And that was the Stuart Atwell East Midlands derby, that infamous kind of last few minutes where we we had two goals disallowed, penalty miss, and have hated Stuart Atwell ever since. Obviously, we don't want to reflect on that too too much more. But the enjoyment from, from yesterday was, was kind of pretty unreal, to be honest. I, I hadn't realised it was only 14 seconds between penalty two and, and the goal. The game after Accrington, a 1-0 defeat at top two chasing Ipswich, is currently Derby's last league defeat, which just about brings us up to speed on our whistle-stop tour of 2022. So there we go then. The year that was with Derby County, a year none of us will forget in a hurry. But there's loads to be optimistic about for 2023. And who knows where the season will end. Hi there, we county fans. I'm Branko Struper. Hi, I'm Paolo Wanchop. Hi, I'm Mart Poom. And you are listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. A few more five-word reviews to wrap up the episode then from uh, from Twitter after summing up the year there, as we have done. Uh, some great responses that we had. We had Ben Cocker. He said, we're all having a party. Uh, Daniel Warwick, one of our patrons, he said, relegation, pleasantly surprised, rebuild, existence uh andrew woodman said three days from death survived nick birch on twitter he said thank you forever david Klaus. uh paul turner said we will only get better neil cheatham he said Klaus kept us in existence uh matt t on twitter he said get in the sea morris <laughs> good one um yep. Giorgio on Twitter said Phoenix rising from the ashes. And uh just finally, Vic Ramjit Singh Kalsa on Twitter said, We've got our club back. So a couple more thoughts from you both, Tom and Kutch. We can't ignore the fact this season that uh plenty of players came and went for Derby County, probably the biggest bit of turnover players wise coming and going that I think I've seen in my life as a Derby County fan but the players who left I mean there were plenty of them like Festi Ebersaley, Luke Plange, Malcolm Ebiowi, Kamal Juzviak, Tom Lawrence, Nathan Byrne, Keller Roos, Lee Buchanan, Ryan Alsop, Colin Kazan Richards, Ravel Morrison just to name a few who left the club in 2022. In terms of players I was most disappointed about seeing leave uh, we've talked about Abisaley before, but I think Abi Owe was a real killer because I think for me, he's the player who has the most potential of the youngsters that we let go. Like someone that you've seen some of the clips of him playing for Palace. Granted, he's still yet to really break into their first team. I think he's had a few minutes here and there in Premier League, but he looks like a player with real skill and great feet and uh, and a bit of magic and, and sort of match-winning uh, ability that I think he's got and to let him go for what a, a million and a bit or whatever it was I know Palace did 
give us a fee for him, but that was a real kick in the teeth in the situation we were in. Um, Kutch, of the players that you saw left, who were you most disappointed to see uh, exit the Pride Park doors in 2022? I think probably if you'd asked me in the summer uh, or the start of this season, I probably would have said Ryan Allsop. But I think, as we've discussed numerous times, Joe Wildsmith has, has done so well in goal that we haven't really missed Allsop in the way I thought maybe we might or, or might miss a really good goalkeeper for he was brilliant last season. I'd agree with you, Ebi way. Luke Plange, um, I really like Luke Plange. I thought, I know he tailed off a little bit at the end of last season, but I thought he looked like a, a proper a proper goal scorer. And I think he'll prove to be a, a solid goal scorer at the kind of top end of the championship in the, in the future. Um, I don't think he's quite cut out for the Premier League, but I, I think he'll be a good a, a good player in the, pre, in the championship. Um, Ebioe was brilliant. I always thought he was, he'll be too good to, to stay with us into League One. So I wasn't surprised about that. Ebersele, I mean, imagine having Ebersele and Mendes Lang in the same team, uh, maybe on opposing wings or even Ebersele playing from right wing back. He could have been a fantastic right wing back for us this season. So I'd probably go with Ebersele. I mean, it's I think he's played two games for Udinese, two appearances at least uh, for them. So I don't really know what's happening with his career now. Seems a bit of a waste uh, making that decision uh, so far. Uh, so yeah, I, I, w- I would love to have seen Ebersele kind of tear up League One because I think he... He may well have still frustrated with his final ball and his consistency, but I think he would have been an absolutely incredible threat for us to have. And who knows, maybe uh, I'm not a great one for harking back, and I think this is a whole new era, but uh, you know, he'll be looking for a, a loan spell, and I imagine, uh, in the new year if he's not going to get any game time at Udinese. So let's see where he turns up. Yeah, I, I can't really go beyond uh, either Ebioe or Ebersele, to be honest. Um, Plange, I thought, was decent. Um, but I don't think he... I, I agree with you, Kutch. I think he'll be a, a reasonable like championship forward. But I think Ebioe was just... He was just so good watching him on the ball like and the way that he glided past people. And he didn't have like express pace or anything, um, but he just was able to beat people and, and put a cross in with, with either foot. So he was an excellent player. I really enjoyed watching him in the back end of uh, last season. Um, Ebersele was just exciting. Um, sort of raw pace and like... Um, sort of just destructive pace, I think. And I think both of those players are both uh, are young. I think uh, Ebersel is 20, Ebioe is maybe 19. Um, and so they're not expected to get into that first team just yet. So I I, I think Ebersel uh, was on a five-year contract as well. So there's plenty of time for him to mature and to develop as a footballer. But I think it would have been lovely to have seen both of those uh, to have done that in a derby shirt. Um, so I can't really sort of build too much on on what you said there, but I would like to also make a nod in the summer. Um, you said mentioned about also great shout, but uh, Colin Kazan Richards. I mean, yeah, he was a he was like a, a real sort of talisman for us in a really difficult time, um, and I just loved watching him. And it was such a shame he got injured early on in the season, uh, especially after we came off a fantastic chant in the summer. Uh, so we weren't actually able to get it get it out into the public um, because he didn't play that much afterwards. Let's get one more prediction from you both for old time's sake in 2022. Then. Um... No real structure to this. Just give me any random prediction that you want to give about Derby County for 2023. I'll, I'll go first. Uh, mine is that I predict David McGoldrick will hit 24 goals in all competitions this season for Derby, which will include two more hat tricks. I'm calling it. He's going he's gonna to score four hat tricks in one season, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous, but I just think we've got a few of the bottom teams to play in League One. And on his day, I don't think those sorts of teams can handle Didzy. So that's my call. Can you top that, Kutch? Yeah, I mean, if he scores two more hat-tricks, six goals alone, that, where does that take him to? 16, where I he think. is now. 
that takes him to 16. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily, I think, as Ollie says a few times, said in the pod before, a lot of those teams in the bottom half we've still got to play are at home as well. So I think you're right. We could have a couple of decent, uh, decent showings in front of goal before the end of the season. My random prediction is we will win a penalty shootout in a playoff game come the end of the season. Okay, so you're not willing to call whether it will actually mean promotion, but you you reckon we'll win some sort of yeah, shootout. Yeah, it could be a semi-final, it could be a semi-final playoff, or it could be a, a playoff final uh, penalty shootout. But I just think Warren is building a mentality at the team, and I do think that kind of thing stretches to to, to things such as penalty shootouts. So I think we'll get in the playoffs, and I think we'll do well in the playoffs. Uh, whether or not that means we get promoted, I won't quite stretch that far. Uh, but I think we will win a penalty shootout because we're not we're not conceding goals. I think games will be tight come the playoffs, and uh, yeah, we will win a penalty shootout at some point in the playoffs. That's really funny, Kutch, because we hadn't discussed this before. And mine was that Joe Wildsmith would take the winning penalty and score to send us to uh, the championship this year. <laughs> he's had such a fantastic season, and he seems like he can do pretty much anything. And as you said uh, a minute ago about Allsop, I was sad that he'd left because he'd actually turned himself into a pretty decent keeper after our initial sort of concern about him. Um, and actually, Joe Wildsmith's a step up from him, and he's a, an excellent goalkeeper. So I was like, yeah, Joe Wildsmith to be the absolute hero, uh, save a couple of penalties, real miss a couple because that's that's what happens, and then he'll he'll step up. I don't know sixth penalty or something like that. No one else fancies it. He'll bang it in the top corner and then save the next one. So, so yeah, that's that's my prediction. Absolutely love that, and I think that what that also shows us is that Tom and I, who supposedly um, <laughs> like to think of ourselves as somewhat, um, I wouldn't say experts, but interested in goalkeeping. Um, and we have, I think we got it both, we got it wrong twice about Joe Wellsmith and Ryan Olsop. Although I was never particularly critical of Joe Wellsmith when he arrived. I was kind of a wait and see. But uh, yeah, I'm glad Tom and I have matched up there because that means it's definitely not going to happen. I'm pretty happy with both those predictions. And if all three of our predictions come true, then we're in for a pretty spectacular end to the season. Yes. So fingers crossed on all three of them. But uh, that's it from us then. Thanks to everyone who listened to Steve Bloomer's washing in 2022. Uh, we do hope to return bigger and better next year to give our take on our beloved Bonkers Football Club. But look, enjoy what's left of this year, won't you? Wherever you're listening and how you're listening. And uh, it's goodbye and thank you to you, Richard Kutcher. Thank you, Chris. Cheers as ever. And goodbye and thank you to you, Tom Martin. All the best. And it's goodbye from me, Chris Parsons. See ya. See ya.